And welcome to this episode of the Hammer Time Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Hammerman, at Ethan Ham on Twitter, at Hammer Time Pod as well. The post-Super Bowl episode, my post-birthday episode as well. You know where to find us. We're on Playmaker Mentality. We're on iTunes. We're everywhere. Hammer Time Podcast is taking over the world. Thank you so much for all of the amazing feedback that I've received over the first few podcasts. It really means a lot. I'm trying to make this as good as I can, and I really appreciate that a lot of people seem to really like listening to it. I've had multiple people tweet at me or message me and say that they're now consistent listeners and that they're downloading it every week. So if you have any ideas uh, for guests, if you have any ideas for subjects that we haven't touched on yet, because of course we touch on a little bit of everything, feel free to let me know, and I will definitely take it into account. Every week we talk about sports, we talk about society, we talk about stuff, and I'm really excited for our guest this week, as I am every week. But we have our first denizen from the worldwide leader of sports, fantasy editor at ESPN.com, Leo Howell is joining us tonight. Leo, how are you doing? Doing good, and um, belated happy birthday, and... Yeah, like the podcast is great. I've definitely listened to it too. And it, it, there's so many interesting people out there that you only ever read their tweets or read their articles. And there's so much more to them than that. And so that's why this is totally awesome. And I'm happy to be a part of it. People don't realize the shit that other people have gone through too. Like people have some harrowing stories. And <laughs> granted, I think this podcast would be a little bit lighter than some of our past couple of podcasts. It might have been a little bit darker. But. <laughs> Everyone has their own story, and I'm all about sharing those stories, and I think that we're going to have some really, really good ones coming up soon, Uh, so I'm super, super excited for those. We're going to jump right into it. I was very wrong about the Super Bowl. I was right about the score for the winning team, but the winning team I picked was the Panthers, not the Broncos. The Broncos destroyed Cam. They destroyed Carolina. I have to admit, I said that the defense was really, really good. But I underestimated how good they were. I did not think that they would be able to totally stop Cam and make those turnovers happen like they did. And granted, the Panthers were a little bit unlucky. They got some bad calls, some bad drops. But all credit to Denver, all credit to that entire team. They totally deserved it. What were things that stood out to you at the Super Bowl? Yeah, I... I... I, I had this mindset going in as someone who was biased towards the Panthers um, that, oh, the Panthers took care of business against, you know, against teams like Seattle and Arizona. So, like, of course they can handle Denver. So, so yeah, like, my, my thought process was, of course they can handle this. Like, sure, yeah, Denver's really good. Um, and what I realized in kind of looking back at it and then looking at a, a, a piece that looked over all of the gambling lines from every Super Bowl ever is that, the Broncos were very much like the Bucks were when they won their Super Bowl, and as a Bucks fan, this means a lot to me. And that, as a Bucks fan, I assumed that the Bucks were going to win that Super Bowl. Like it seemed super obvious. But at the start of that week, before the whole like the center who went a wall and it was kind of a sad story, um, scary story, whatever you want to call it. Um, the the Raiders were like favored because they had like this great offense and they had these great players and and seemed like you know a team of of just destiny that was going to overcome losing John Gruden and just go all the way. But I just knew that, like, no, the Bucks defense is really good. Like, stop trying to tell me that, like, Rich Gannon's going to throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns. That's not going to happen. The Bucks defense is really good. I feel like that's what happened again, is that we let 
and myself included, because I love Cam Newton. I, you know, Jonathan Stewart is is just this like underrated player forever, and he finally got his chance this year, and he played so well. Like there were so many things that you wanted to like about that offense, and you saw them do it against good defenses, and you just forgot that sometimes all it takes is a really good defense to totally change a game because it obviously sets up the offense good positions, it scores touchdowns on its own, as we saw with the Bucks, as we saw with the uh, Broncos. So yeah, like I really feel like it's it's that weird mindset that you know for a while there we just looked at defenses and said, oh, this is a really good defense. They're built for the playoffs. And then all of a sudden, teams start scoring, you know, 40 points a game, and we forget that sometimes defense can kind of win in that sort of interaction. That Bucks panthers fandom combo, a little bit of a interesting combination, although I know that the reason why I like the Panthers is because of Cam and other things as well. So I think yeah, you sort I of... say that I'm more of a Cam fan than I am a yeah. whole... Panthers fan. I mean, I'm a Cam fan too. I think Cam is phenomenal, and I do not think he was the reason they lost that game. In my opinion, no. Cam made throws to give them the game. He made throws that could have won the game. Players dropped him. Uh, he definitely lost his composure at the end, and we're going to get to the interview in a little, little bit. But I do think that he showed on that stage against that defense that he could compete. I think he got let down by his receivers. I let down a little bit by the play calling, and they just got unlucky. And sometimes that happens, and you got to deal with it. I mean, the Broncos were not 35 points worse than the Seahawks in 2014. They might have been worse than them, but they weren't that much worse. They just had a bad game, and sometimes that happens for the Panthers too. They only lost twice all year, and they should still be celebrated. And I do think that they're going to be back next year with a vengeance. But, yeah, they're, they're, there's not a ton of talent on that team, that like, particularly not that they're going to lose. Like, assuming they bring back Josh Norman, like, they can really only get better from a players other than Cam standpoint. Like, there's not a lot of talent on that team that you say, like, oh, man, they're going to be leaving, or oh, man, they're getting too old. Like, really, Thomas Davis is the only guy who, if he's lost a step or if he decides to hang him up or whatever, like, that would be a huge loss. He's such a great player. But, you know, other than him, like, there's not a ton of players on the team that you think, oh, this guy might leave, and if they hit, like, one free agent guy and one guy from the draft that, and then get Kelvin Benjamin back, like, that's a substantially better team. And even then, they have Shaq Thompson, their first-round pick last year. Yeah. He probably was yeah. brought in as a contingency plan to if Davis decides to leave. At least yeah. that would be my guess. And, and that's what Coney Ely is, too. And, like, as he emerges into a bigger role, like, he showed that he yeah. can perform, you know, on the big stage, too. So, as he continues, because he only played, like, 25 snaps at the Super Bowl and had, like, multiple sacks and turnovers and, you know, like if, if he gets a full-time role, you know, with Jared Allen and, and all that stuff, you know, like he's, he's a player that that's only going to help that team get better too. I'm still a little skeptical of Coney Ely, even though I did not like him out of college. He has gotten better and I know he's gotten better since he's been in the NFL. He's gotten better in terms of his hands. He's gotten better. That's all you can ask for. He was going against a really bad offensive tackle that entire game. Yeah, and that's like, maybe another really, really bad. Side too. And he like had an amazing game, but yeah. that was a bad offensive tackle. Yeah. Maybe Coney 2017 will happen, though. I'm still just slightly bitter that Chandler Jones didn't do as well against that offensive tackle. Because, uh, yeah, that's... Don't get me started on that, Chandler yeah. Jones. I'm, I'm still... I still think he could have done a little bit better in that championship game. But it's neither here nor there. The Broncos are the champions, and now they have some interesting decisions to make. 
gotta resign Von Miller because the guy totally warranted MVP, and he probably is a top two defensive player in the league at this point. I don't think there are too many players that would take over him. So you gotta resign him. In my opinion, I think even though Malik Jackson is so good, I think you gotta let him walk. Because in that defensive scheme, you can get another penetrating defensive tackle. You can find someone to shoot gaps. You can find someone to make plays in the interior. And this defensive tackle class is really, really good. I mean, imagine this team getting a guy like Sheldon Rankins from Louisville at the end of the first round. That would just be robbery. If 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 draft Twitter had a team, they would trade every player they had to get Sheldon Rankins, is the impression that I'm getting. Sheldon Rankins was damn good in Mobile. Like, I was a little bit skeptical before I got there because I didn't think he was quite as athletic as I had been told he was uh, on tape. I actually thought his best trait was his awareness. I thought he was going to be a nice rotational player. I didn't think he was going to be destroying every single guard he faced off the snap. And he's really, really good. He's going to be a very good pro. I have no doubts. Uh, Chuck McDonald sold me on him. I think that Rankins, whichever team gets him, is going to be getting an instant stud. He's that good. But this is a really, really deep defensive tackle class. And Malik Jackson is going to get a lot of money somewhere. Josh Norris' favorite, of course, one of our other good friends on Twitter and great analyst for NBC Sports. He's always been on the Malik Jackson train, and Malik Jackson has always been really good as an undersized defensive tackle type who just uses great leverage, great athleticism, and makes plays on the ball. Uh, He is going to get paid a lot. I'm not sure where yet. I think there are some interesting fits around the league for him, and that's something that we talked about in a later podcast. But what would you do if you are the Broncos? Because they have another big pending question, too, and that's who their quarterback's going to be. Yeah, obviously that's if, – if we're assuming that Peyton is, is moving on, and, and I think that that's a safe assumption to make, either from the Broncos or the NFL in general, one of the two um, is likely to happen. Um, yeah, you almost have to think, like – is it worth it for them right now to invest not only money, but then whatever capital it would take to go get another quarterback, whether that's in a trade, whether that's free agent money, which we know, like, if you're signing a free agent quarterback at this point, that's 18 to 20 mil. Like, you're not getting any better than that. Um, except for maybe Osweiler. Like, I feel like you're not having to pay Osweiler that much, and maybe you do, and maybe that changes this whole conversation. But assuming that Osweiler is not going to cost $20 million a year, would you rather invest a little less in your quarterback and be sure that you can keep your, your defense together and keep your defense, you know, maybe you can't afford to keep Malik Jackson and Vaughn Miller. Like maybe that's a, that's a possibility. Um, or, or is a situation where, you know, you want to spend up at quarterback. I, I think this team with the core of defenders that it has, um, I, I think you want to keep, that's, that's where your dynasty is. It's not Peyton Manning right now. Like, you, you proved this year that you could win without good quarterback play. So so I would say that if you can get Brock Osweiler for an affordable price, or if you can't, then get you – know, I'm sure Ryan Fitzpatrick will be cheap. You know, somebody like that, like the, the, the cheapest guy you can get, um, and, and, and focus your, your resources on, on keeping that defense where it is because, as we saw, like – Nobody expected that defense to be able to do what it did, but in retrospect, we're all kind of realizing, no, like, no, they're really that good. And so, yeah, keeping Von Miller's priority A1, I would get rid of Osweiler and Manning and 
um, Malik Jackson and figure out, like, we'll figure out in a week what we do with these guys. Let's just get Von Miller wrapped up because he is ridiculous. He's the dynasty. Now, speaking of Manning and Osweiler, I do think Manning is not going to be back in Denver. Bill Simmons said today in his podcast he thinks that Manning ends up in L.A. I wouldn't be shocked about that, I guess. My sort of thought is I think he's going to be retiring. I think it's time for him to step back. And I think he's going to end up taking Phil Simms' job. That's my <laughs> prediction because there's a reason why Jim Nance was being so nice to him this entire season. And forever, to be honest. He's always been very nice to Peyton Manning. Yeah. And that would be really, funny. Really, that's, I think yeah, that's Peyton totally would be really good in the booth. If, uh, yeah, if, if Peyton wants to do that, like, if whatever job he wants, then, yeah, you would assume that, that probably the way that CBS has always kind of pumped him up a little bit, you know, that that would be – because obviously he's not going to work with Gruden because, you know, Gruden, Gruden loves him too. Now, but. the questionable thing, though, is with Osweiler, and this is a little bit of insider information from my time in Mobile, Alabama Senior Bowl, which I'll drop every now and then. The Broncos don't want to pay him that much money, and Osweiler wants to make a little bit more than it sounded like the Broncos were willing to go for. Yep. The Broncos also really like their backup, Trevor Simeon, from Northwestern. <laughs> Apparently, they really like him. They think that he learned a lot from Peyton. They think that he's really picked up the offense, and they are not opposed to either giving him the second job or starting him next year. The most likely scenario that someone had mentioned to me, and I'm not sure this happens, because I think that Osweiler might be overestimating his own market a little bit. A little bit. I think that it's very possible that they draft a quarterback in the first two rounds this year. And judging from what people have been saying, and there's a lot of smoke about Christian Hackenberg going in the first round, Connor Cook going in the first round, things like that. I think that Connor Cook would actually make a lot of sense for him in the second round. Not in the first round. That's not a good spot for him. But he fits their offense really well. And if they're able to temper the attitude a little bit that he has, and he definitely has some sort of attitude, I think he would be a very interesting fit in Denver. Because those receivers fit him really well. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like I, like I said, if, I, if I'm the GM and I can get talk Osweiler down from whatever number he's on and go with Osweiler and, and Simeon and just, you know, find a, a third for the practice squad, like, I'm fine with that too. And then, yeah, like, yeah, maybe not first-round pick, but maybe second or, or, you know, trade up into the high third or something, you know, move around. I don't know what their draft picks are. I don't follow the Broncos that closely. Um but you know, like yeah, like like get a guy like a you know if if one of these guys slides that has the pedigree but maybe hasn't like like Hackenberg like obviously there's a lot of talk with uh, O'Brien being connected to him or whatever and and you know that's never going to go away but um, in in Houston obviously um, but you know for for the Broncos like yeah just if, if one of these guys slides that has this sort of like NFL body NFL arm all these things and you can just stash them behind Osweiler for a couple of years or let them compete with Simeon. If you like Simeon, like at this point, I almost feel like this is a team that could compete with, with anybody at quarterback. You could put the replacement level quarterback at this, on this team and they'd win. So if you, if you've got a guy that you think has upside and if that's 
Osweiler if that's Simeon, if that's a draft pick, I think that's the way to go. Yeah, I think a lot of the Hackenberg to Houston talk is smoke. It's yeah, I mean, it's, Ryan it's, too Nassib, it's way too easy. With Ryan Nassib to Buffalo and that happened, we've seen this before. Like, yes. I'm a little <laughs> skeptical. And there are good people who are swearing that Hackenberg's family thinks he has a promise from Houston. I well, I'll believe it when I see it or when I get a little more information about that. So we need to talk about the Cam interview because you were really upset about it. I saw on Twitter that you were had a very visceral reaction to it, and I was just wondering why you felt so strongly about it. It's this this kind of bleeds over into the society section. Um, this is kind of going to toe the line between the two. As someone who's grown up as a obviously, I'm I'm white. I'm a male. I'm American. So I'm I'm a part of no minorities, although I've grown up around in in areas that have a higher minority population. Like I you know, there's a lot of people that I interact with on, on Twitter or that places that I've lived, like Indiana and Oklahoma, I know people from Wisconsin, like where they're they live in places that are more rural and don't have that minority population. And so like it's one of those things where, like, I've lived my whole life with this kind of issue where half of me is kind of this, like, privileged white person that doesn't realize how good I have it and doesn't realize that, like, there are people that are discriminated on based on things that they can't control. But then part of me realizes, like, these people are no different than me. I've interacted with people of different races all the time. Why is this even a thing? And, and so it's always just been, and then lately as, as I've kind of matured and as I've become an adult, like I've really started to feel passionately about like just these fundamental misunderstandings that, that people who aren't of a certain, not even minorities, because sometimes it's, it's, you know, men and women, which is definitely not a minority thing. Like just this fundamental misunderstanding of people from different circumstances. And I feel like that's such a thing with Cam Newton that people are just so quick to find the things wrong with him because they just don't understand where he comes from and they don't understand his perspective and they don't understand his, and I don't, and I'm not claiming to like, and, and was I disappointed in him for, you know, for bad PR essentially? Like, I don't think it's necessarily some fundamental flaw, but for bad PR. Yeah. I, like I was disappointed in him, like not in him as like, Oh, this makes me think less of you, but like, Oh, this isn't what people want you to do, Cam. So this is going to be an issue because it's, He's such a fun player, and he has so much fun, and, and you can tell that there's more to him than just that. He's not – there are so many players in the NFL that are just kind of what what seem to be, and, and it could be that we just don't get enough information on them, but just, just these kind of hollow people who are just kind of – not hollow, that, that sounds rude, but like what I'm trying to say is like you see them celebrate, you see them have fun when they do well, but you don't really know anything about them. You just assume that they're just kind of – they just have that bravado on the football field. And I feel like with Cam that it extends so much further into his life that he's just got such a wide range of emotions that, that he, people just don't understand people. Don't, he doesn't fit their mold of what they want him to be. And I feel like for some people it's a cultural thing. It's a racial thing that, that just makes me really uncomfortable considering everything else that goes on with race in this country these days. I totally agree. I really do believe that there is a little bit of that racial component when talking about Cam. And it's really difficult because 
I don't necessarily think that the people who complain about it are racist per se. Like, people who really do think they are racist. But they're people who hate quarterbacks that showboat in general. And to me, the biggest example of this is Philip Rivers does the same shit that Cam Newton does and no one cares. Tom Brady does the same shit Cam Newton does and no one cares. Peyton Manning does the same shit that Cam Newton does and no one cares. In the Super Bowl, where he lost to New Orleans, Peyton Manning did not talk to the media, didn't shake hands, and he went right off the field. And that was an older Peyton Manning than Cam Newton is right now. So, Cam Newton just lost the biggest game of his life in a season where he only lost one other time. And the two games preceding, I mean, he was pretty much crowned. There were probably behind-the-scenes talks going on for him to star in the Space Jam football version, you know? Like, there was probably a lot of stuff that was riding on this game. And they didn't execute. It wasn't his day. And he was frustrated about that. And I will say, I listened back to the tape, and there was one reporter who asked the same question four times. Can you put your disappointment into words? First of all, that's a terrible question. And second of all, if someone was yelling that question in my ear for four minutes, while on the other side of the room I could hear Chris Harris talking shit about me, I'd probably want to leave too. I mean, yeah, it's that at simple. Some, at some point, leaving is the more mature decision. Like, like yeah. If you can't, if you know you're not going to be able to handle the situation, like going through it and bottling up anger is not a healthy thing to do. And and Cam doesn't seem like the person who's like he wears his heart on his sleeve. That's what he does. And so, rather than doing that in public and letting all these people see him get mad because of all those things you're talking about, you know, he. He did the mature thing, and, and it's not like it's not like he didn't talk to anybody. He gave them a chance, and like you said, like as someone who works in an industry where I, I work with a lot of people who who live and die on those quotes, and so like obviously there's an audience for it. There are people who like those. I personally, as a reader, as a consumer of content, do not care what players say after a game. If they say something crazy, I, I can chalk it up to it being in the moment. If they say something boring, I chalk it up to PR. There's really nothing there that can be said for me as a reader that means anything. So so these things just don't – it doesn't register for me in the first place. So now I understand why people in the media get upset about it, but then that kind of starts the cycle even more. Like that becomes a media person mentions it, media person's upset about it. That feeds into the personality of, of the people who follow that that media person because they kind of look to that person for, for their opinions. And, and so it's just it's, – it's really tough, and it's it's – like it's it's not even just the interview thing. It's just his general like not diving on the fumble. His well, if he's if he's going to show ball all, all season, he has to accept. It's trying to force Cam into what we think a player should be, let alone a quarterback, which is ridiculous that we have this different perception for what a quarterback should be. It, it's just it it just blows my mind, and and it's just very frustrating. And I do feel like like you, and I, I think what you said is important. I don't think that people are racist when when they they you know, diminish Cam's accomplishments when they discuss Cam's behavior. I don't think that that's a racist thing. I think that it is a inherent misunderstanding of the differences in personality and culture and, and um, the, the ability to kind of embrace the difference in people that, that people just aren't quite, 
uncomfortable with for whatever reason. And, and I'm, I'm guilty of it too. Like there, I'm sure that there are things that I don't even realize that I'm being ignorant about, but I, I saw a video sometime and I wish I could cite it, but basically there's, there's, there's actions that are based in some sort of racial misunderstanding. And then there's racism and, and racism is like, is more blatant. And I, I, I would definitely hesitate to call, most people who interact with you know about Cam in this way are racist, but I do think that there are things that are sort of racial misunderstandings that, that I do think is, is really frustrating, and I wish that there was a better way to kind of communicate that. I agree with you, and to me, I think the line is drawn. Like, if someone complains about a showboat quarterback, whatever. Like, I, I think that there's still a little bit of racism, not in the people, but just in the sentiment. Because I don't think that Cam gets in criticism that Philip Rivers, Tom Brady, and Peyton Manning do. But whatever, that is what it is. I think there's a line that's crossed when you have moms writing letters to the local newspaper complaining about him dabbing. Like, I, I think that that's where you would never ever see any other player have to go through that. Especially a quarterback. And yeah, especially like, their wife. Would, I can't think of a single other honest. time that that's happened. I think that that is sort of the line, when you feel so compelled, when you can't tell your children about the dance that he's doing, I think that that's really yeah. the line in the sand, at least to me. That's just my opinion. Like Aaron Rodgers' signature move involves putting his hands really close to his crotch, yet Cam putting his no, hand across his face is is this thing that everyone needs to be concerned about. Like, it's just, it, it there is definitely, you know, and I'm not offended by what Aaron Rodgers does. I think he's hilarious. Like I love, I love Aaron Rodgers' personality, and that's why I like Cam because I feel like there's a lot of similarities there um, in terms of kind of how they play, but more importantly, like how they kind of interact with the game and kind of, you know, when Cam's in a mood to talk to the media, I feel like he interacts similarly like Aaron does. It's this very kind of, kind of fun kind of mix of sarcasm and and kind of just you know blatant, just kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge sort of stuff that, that I just really like. And I feel like there's a lot of similarities there that I feel like people who embrace Rodgers don't get. And I wish that they did because I, I want more people to like Cam Newton. I, I'm kind of like apologizing for him. Like I, I want people to like understand like, no, 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 the reason you like Aaron Rodgers, like that's why you should like Cam Newton. I will say one stat that does not bode well for Cam, only four quarterbacks in NFL history have ever won a Super Bowl after losing the first one they went to. So, he has some work cut out for him there. Yeah, but at some point, like, what, there's only probably been 40 quarterbacks who have won a Super Bowl. So, at some point, yeah, Not know. bad. Not bad numbers at all. Uh, but we will see. But a lot of them are also early. There haven't been one since John Elway, ironically enough. Yeah. Which maybe speaks to the league getting a little bit more complex and more parody taking hold. Yeah. But anyway, for going to society, football season sadly is over, and we are going to be talking about more than just football in this podcast, even though it's been a lot of football to start. Leo, you're a fan of many sports. What sports yeah. are you going to be watching now that football season is over? Um, I, I keep trying to get into golf as a spectator. Um. I really got into the, the DFS aspect of it a while, a couple of years ago, and um, but kind of fell away from that just because I, I stopped winning, and now I'm kind of focused on work more. Um, so, so, so golf, other than like the Masters and like the majors and stuff, I'll watch that. I'm gonna try to watch baseball. Um, 
I watch soccer religiously, like, you know, assuming I wake up in time because, you know, European matches start early. So that's, that's a constant for me. Um, like March Madness, everybody watches that. Um, I'm going to try to watch baseball. I, I, I've played fantasy baseball forever. I, I appreciate baseball statistics. I just have always fallen off watching it like weeks into the season for the past couple of years. And I would just pick like random games every once in a while. I'm, I'm going to watch it. And, and because I, I want to better understand a sport that I've kind of always just assumed that I knew and that I liked because like being around people at work who love the sport so much and, are talking about these intricacies and these things that, that I kind of miss by not watching for years now religiously. Like I, I want to get into it. So, so I would say that, that until football comes back around, it's going to be soccer and baseball with, you know, like I'll watch the NBA playoffs. I'll watch NCAA playoffs and I'll watch the golf majors, but um, soccer and, and baseball are going to hopefully get me through until, until the NFL returns. Anyway, we're going to go on to the society portion. This will be a little bit quicker than last week's, which was very long, I think. Uh, but we have a couple of topics that I want to touch on, and one that I think a lot of people could potentially find very interesting, relevant to their own lives. You lost a lot of weight recently. I know that you've talked about it on Twitter before, how you got more motivated to get more in shape than you were. So why don't you give us a quick rundown of your journey, what motivated you, and what your current plan is? Sure. Um, yeah, my my weight's kind of been a yo-yo because if you if you met me when I was in like seventh or eighth grade, you would have never believed that I would wind up being you know, three hundred fifty pounds as an adult. Because I I've I'm six feet four inches tall. Uh, so from a perspective, like me being 350 is not quite the same as someone who's like 5'10 being 350, but it's still like way too much. Um, but when I was, when I was in middle school, I, I'd reached like six feet tall in like sixth grade, but I also weighed like a hundred pounds. Like I was super skinny. I was super frail as a kid. I had asthma. I was always like sick and in the hospital just with not with super bad stuff. Like I wasn't having like operations. I didn't have some sort of like, you know, debilitating thing. I mean, asthma can be, but, but I, I, you know, it was just more of a thing where like I needed this treatment to kind of keep my, um, my lungs just, you know, functioning enough to like be athletic and, and just kind of, you know, do the things I wanted to do. Um, but then as I kind of got over the asthma and also at the, around the same time, um, started taking uh, medication for depression, which is something that, you know, I, everyone can, everyone has either gone through or has met someone and, and seen the commercials or whatever. Like you, you, you're familiar with that. Like, I don't feel like that's a huge uh, thing to discuss, but like, it was something that, that as a, as a teenager, you know, I was, I was medicated for it. And this weird mix of me, like not dealing with health issues anymore, but also dealing with this medication and the way that it was interacting with my body. I just gained weight in a hurry. I lost my metabolism. I lost my motivation to be athletic um, and, and I, I just started eating more. I gained more of an appetite. And, and so it, it kind of, like I gained weight in a hurry and then I kind of stopped. And then as I got older and that, that metabolism just kept falling off, I just got bigger and bigger to the point where one of my, my highest recorded weight was at least 350, but the scale that I was on didn't go that high. So it was probably higher than that. And like looking back at photos of myself around that time, like it was probably higher than that. Like I was probably 375 pounds 
And so, like, it just reached a point where I just, yeah, I, I realized that, like, it's not even like a, because there's the obvious sort of platonic, shallow, like, I don't look good response. Like, ugh, I don't like the way I look. I don't, I don't like this. I, I got to change this. But that doesn't really, for me at least, that's not really a motivating thing because I don't really care how I look, particularly to other people. Like, as long as I'm okay with the way I look, like my clothes, my appearance, whatever. Like, I'm fine, and if people don't like that, then it's, if they decide to tell me, like, I might be offended and get upset. But, you know, otherwise, like, just people are going to live their lives however they want to, and as long as I'm not standing out in some way, it's fine. But then I just realized, like, no, like, I'm getting into my 20s, and then that means I'm an adult, and adults who, you know, like a, a teenager who's dealing with weight issues, like, there's a long time in their life to fix that. Once you're getting into your 20s and your 30s, like, that's not a thing that you can just put off. So seeing people, you know, celebrities or, or just, you know, friends, family who are dealing with, with health issues related to, to their weight or to their diet, it just, it was very, it, 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 it hit me and it really impacted me in that, like, I need to take better care of my body, not because I want it to look better, but just because I want to be able to live in it for longer. Um but then, then there comes the whole issue of, of what do you do on a diet? Like, what, like, what does that even look like? Especially for someone who's a picky eater, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about food later, um, and and that'll kind of feed into this too. We're going to kind of straddle the lines a little bit. But like, I, I'm a very picky eater, and there's a lot of things I just don't eat, and a lot of the things I don't eat are things that I should be eating. So <laughs> it's tough for me to find that sort of like, oh yeah, here's this diet plan. You just need to eat this, this, and this all the time, and then you can eat whatever you want. And I'm like. I but I don't eat those things. That's not, that doesn't work for me. So I basically had to get to the point where I'm just like, I just need to do the simple and tail as old as time method of burn more calories than you eat. And you know, the deficit there is going to result in your body burning fat. And so I started logging everything I ate in an app on my phone. And I started logging every time I worked out in an app on my phone. And for, I was at like, we'll say 350, but it was probably like 375. And a year later I was down to 256 or something. Uh, we'll say a year and like two months. Um, but then, so like, and that was, that was all. And what kept motivating me was just, you know, seeing that progress because I kind of had this advantage of every time I stepped on a scale, I was losing weight. Cause if someone's like 170 and wants to get down to 150, they're not going to see that every time they step on a scale. So um, and that's kind of what made it tough for me to keep going is, is that when you see that motivation for literally for me, like I'm losing like 10 pounds in a week, like it doesn't seem healthy, but like, there's just so much there to lose that, that it was just coming off so quick. Um, but then I've kind of fallen off of that, you know, with work getting busier, my stress goes up. I, I forget to do things. I, I ignore things. I, I put things off. Um, so I'm getting back on, on kind of the, the bandwagon here and it's just, I'm just doing the same thing. Like I, I've got a, a fitness tracker now that, that tracks my steps. So I know almost exactly what I'm burning in a day. So I know how much I can eat and I just have to keep what I eat, you know, like 500, 600 calories below what I burn. And just, it's kind of, it's kind of a game. Like I kind of have to treat it as like a challenge. Like it's a, if I, if I ate too much, you know, I maybe need to go take a few more steps, take a walk around my apartment complex. If, you know, if I, I've got to, you know, make something different for dinner, you know, whatever, like I, I kind of challenge myself with it. And, and that's really when I'm at my best at, at sticking to it is when I've kind of embraced it as sort of this sort of fun thing that I'm doing in this weird way that like, 
this is something that's positive and that's rewarding for me on like a really like personal because since it's my body like this really intrinsic level of, of reward for what I'm doing so like I need to do my best at it and that's kind of the sense of accomplishment that keeps me going and so you know for the past couple of weeks I, you know now that I've settled into my new job and everything I've kind of gotten back on track and yeah it's just I, like I don't think there's anything obviously different things work for different people and whatever motivates you but like that's kind of where I'm at is that just do the simple stuff that do more than you're consuming and your body just kind of starts to work things out. And, you know, obviously it's not going to work for everybody, but I, I would recommend that just try logging what you eat and see like how ridiculous it is that that those two sodas you had in the day are 600 calories or whatever. Like just, you start to see things and like, even if you're not doing any sort of strict diet, just log what you eat and just realize like, Holy crap, what am I doing? I mean, you pretty much covered it. I was going to say the same things as advice. As someone else who lost a little bit of weight, not quite as much as that, but definitely was conscious of that. Just eat less, log your food. It really does help. Don't overindulge. Cut out things you don't need. Like, I cut out soda, and it was not hard to do. Yeah. Other than, like, occasionally. Because you can occasionally, like, cheat, but it's not hard to cut out non-diet soda. Even diet soda. These that's probably just as bad for you. I don't really yeah, eat, I, like, sweets anymore. Like, I don't eat chocolate much or cakes or cookies or... They just don't really appeal to me. I just really didn't develop a taste for them anymore. So I don't think it's that hard to cut things out if you really want to get healthy. And then just do small things, like walk places, do push-ups when you wake up or something. Like, there are really small things that you can do to live a healthier lifestyle that I think you pretty much touched on and your story's really cool and hopefully you'll continue to lose or just continue to be happy with your body, however it is. So moving away from that, I wanted to touch on one more point here because you went to Liberty University, which is one of the most well-known Christian universities in the country. I hesitate to say notorious, but definitely in some circles, there's some notoriety there. Um, Could you maybe... Give us a glimpse into the mindset of a Liberty University student while you were there. Sure, yeah. Um, this is kind of... And you were there the while Jerry was still alive, right? Actually, no. The, 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 I, my first semester was the first full semester in which Jerry Falwell Sr. was not alive. He passed oh. away during the, the, spring, the spring semester or the summer, one of the two, before I got there. Um, so, so I never got to meet or interact with with um, with Dr. Jerry Fowle. I, I I did meet and interact with his son, who is now pretty much in the same position, um, who's just Jerry Falwell Jr. Um, I did meet him several times. I interacted with him several times. Um, but yeah, no, it's this kind of goes back to the whole cam thing I was talking about, like like this whole the mindset of, of and this is this is kind of. I'm going to try to be as, as political and as nice as I can about this, but, but there's a lot of things that I'm not exactly thrilled about with my, my alma mater. There are some things that I am, and, and there's some things that I'm not. But as someone who grew up as, as, as a Christian and, and, you know, in a Christian household and always wanted to, you know, be around people who are like-minded in that way, um, it seemed like the obvious choice to go to a school like Liberty. Like, I, I was going to go to Bible college at first, actually right out of, um, high school, I went to a Bible college um, and quickly failed out of it because I was not motivated at all to do the things that I was called upon to do there. 
Um, and so then I wound up kind of taking some time off and then I went back to Liberty, which was more, it's not really a Bible college. Like you study, um, Christian principles and classes, but it's not a Bible college. Um, cause I got a sport management degree there, but you do have a lot of spiritual activities that you do there, which in retrospect were really kind of not the sort of spiritual activities that really are, are most enriching to me and the, that are most important to me. It's a very, it's a very Southern Baptist focused, like even more so than Christian, even more so than evangelical. So there's a very, there's a very political aspect to it. There's a very conservative aspect to it. Um, that really kind of blinded the way that I kind of viewed the world. Like it wasn't even that I, I, it's not even that I think that being conservative is bad. I certainly don't think that. And there's many things that I'm so conservative on. It's just that it was sort of this whole mindset that you had. You were in this bubble of like-minded people who were all kind of the same, the same kind of mindset, the same kind of person who was just, you know, the very Southern Baptist Christian conservative that Jerry Falwell senior kind of, was the example of this, this moral majority sort of, sort of thing that, that, you know, that is this mix of conservative principles and, and biblical principles. And so, um, yeah, it was just, it was a decision that made sense to me at the time because that's kind of what I'd always known. And that's kind of, you know, what I'd always done, but, um, you know, kind of looking back on it, it's something where I kind of wish I'd been in the situation where I was more just, exposed to different kinds of people and more well-rounded in terms of like people I got to experience in college. Like I've, I've talked to, um, Ben Natan, obviously you're good friends with him as well. Um, and yes, just like podcast. hearing the stories, friend of the podcast. He talks about, what? he's a friend of the podcast. Yeah. Um, hearing the stories he talks about it at being, you know, at, at New York, in New York university, like it's just such a totally different, like it's maybe too far on the other side of like it's, he doesn't have as much of a well-rounded thing because maybe it's, it's too far at, at the direct opposite of Liberty, but like somewhere in the middle, like I feel like would have been a more rewarding um, experience, but it, it's just, it's such a, it's such a thing that like, if you're, if you're a Christian young person who wants to get a liberal arts education, like I, I can, I can recommend that like the education you get at Liberty is, is, is good. Like there, there were very rewarding experiences I had there as a student, it's just that the spiritual and the political stuff kind of didn't always sit well with me. Sometimes it, sometimes it did, particularly the spiritual stuff. Like, you know, the, my, my faith is something that, you know, we can have a whole podcast about. But, um, like, there's a lot of good things that they do, particularly for, you know, communities around the world that, that you know, are maybe less fortunate. So so there's a lot of, like, missionary work and, and good things they do there. But it's it's a very it's a very interesting place because there's, there's that mix of, of good and bad that kind of, makes you kind of feel uneasy. Like one moment they're raising all this money for this great cause. And the next moment, you know, Donald Trump is there talking on Martin Luther King day. Like there's just these things that just start, they just kind of make you leave you with a bad taste in your mouth, even if there's good things about it. Did you see that a lot of the students there shared your point of view or were more of them definitely buying into the Kool-Aid? Um, a lot of the people, there just kind of just totally buy in. It is very much. I mean, it, the, the school's getting exponentially bigger, so eventually, at some point, that portion of students who are kind of thinking outside of the bubble is going to continue to grow. But so many students live on campus. It's not a school where a lot of kids commute in, and so the kids live on campus, and so they're in this campus dorm system where each dorm has kind of this spiritual leadership to it, 
like in addition to like the traditional RA that you would have at, at any school where like you've got this person who's just kind of in charge of making sure that people aren't breaking stuff and like, you know, checks for curfew and stuff. Like you've got like prayer leaders and spiritual directors on every floor who are like interacting with you and having these devotional periods and stuff. And so like it's, it's kind of tough to not get bought in because you're kind of forced into it. Like there's so many activities and so many things around you all the time that it's kind of just a part of your life and you just kind of assimilate into it. Like that, that sounds more drastic than it is, but it's kind of is a natural thing you do. Because I know like Liberty has like, they have curfews, right? Because yes. I remember hearing from an ex-Liberty student that like all the students or a lot of them would live the life that they were thought they were supposed to live by Liberty, but they would like find ways around like certain strictures. Like they would sneak out after curfew or they would go into town or whatnot. Um, is that sort of the experience that you had as well? Yeah. It, yeah. Signing at like being able to sign out to my friend's house just so that I could, you know, be able to make a one o'clock McDonald's run. Like this is the crazy thing. That's, that's the crazy thing I did in college. It wasn't like, you know, the people who tell their crazy stories about their parties and stuff. And there are, there are parties in Liberty. Like it's not, it's not a totally clean or dry experience being a Liberty University student. You can find whatever you want if you want to find it. But, like, the crazy stories for me were, like, being able to check out so that I could, like, make a McDonald's run at 1 o'clock. Like, it's it's not uh, – it's such a very structured thing that, like, anything outside the box kind of felt rebellious. Like, yeah, like, the person who drinks one sip of alcohol feels like they're being rebellious and having this crazy college experience, whereas, you know, people at any other school, like, that's that's not even – you know, it's not even a thing. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's totally a – like your your threshold for like what makes for kind of a rebellious, cool college thing to do just lowers so much. And so, so yeah, like people who kind of step outside those boundaries, you know, of their own volition kind of like snowball into this kind of like apathy or, you know, distrust for, for kind of the system at Liberty, but it's not really a, yeah, I don't feel like that's a, that's a prevalent mindset though. I feel like that's sort of, even people who do step outside the box kind of feel bad about it. They feel bad for the saying that they're going to the computer lab at 1 a.m. to study, but instead they go and get, you know, Starbucks. Like, I feel like those, like, the, there's more of those people who don't feel like they're, that's what they're supposed to do, and they feel like they're just kind of getting away with it. They don't feel great about it. So, now I know that, I don't know what classes you took at Liberty, but liberal arts education, you probably took a wide variety of them. Is there one moment in, a class where a professor said something that either you knew was just categorically, realistically incorrect, and you were just like, wow, I can't believe that I'm here, or that another student, or you, called them out on in the class. Mm -hmm. You know, see, that's the thing, and that's why I can kind of endorse the education there, is that I, I didn't really have those moments. And, and, like, I took a lot of psychology classes, and I feel like that's an area where, you know, I would have came across a situation where a professor is, is just blatantly going against like established science. Um, Cause like science is like some more scientific classes are obviously like, I, I, I don't remember. And I, and I don't find like there's a lot of instances where there would be issues in, in sort of literature or English or creative classes or, you know, math or whatever. Like, like I feel like those are all pretty safe areas where, you know, almost anyone who's qualified to teach it can teach it. And even their beliefs aren't, aren't going to necessarily change any facts, quote unquote, about it. But 
even in the science classes that I took, like I didn't really experience that. Like it, it was, it was the, the kind of present both sides thing that so many people mm-hmm. in, um, the, the kind of Christian conservative community want to happen with the whole creation evolution thing in terms of just being able to present both sides, even if you don't agree with them. And I, I feel like, like a lot of my professors did a good job with that. And is that probably the case for everyone? I'm sure it's not. Um, but I never really had that moment. Um, students speaking up in class uh, to the professor said some ridiculous things. And I, I can't even remember them at this mm. point. Cause I like, you know, you check those things out of your head so quickly because they're just ridiculous. But I feel like, and that's why like I said, why I can endorse at least the education side of it is that I feel like I got a pretty good, you know, like learning about old, you know, philosophers and old psychologists that had completely, you know, contradictory, you know, philosophies and, and mindsets to Christianity that we just kind of learned what they thought. And it was kind of this, you know, oh, well, but obviously this isn't true sort of stuff, but like, that's, you know, that's a case of personal opinion that you, that anyone can have about anything. So it was, uh, it was, it was, it was, it was better than I, I probably, you know, in retrospect, probably than I would have expected. That's super fascinating. I always had assumed that to some degree it was the opposite where the students sort of came in a little bit more open-minded and the teachers were the ones who were professing to them some of the the things that you hear about liberty, but it's interesting that you noted that it's the opposite in many cases. Definitely changed my perspective on it, so I really thank you for sharing that. Moving on to the stuff portion, we're going to talk about food. You love food. I love food. And you tend to have pretty good food takes. So... You told me that we can't talk about hot dogs. We cannot talk about that because everyone talks about it. It's a stupid debate. It's over. It's done. Bye, Felicia. We're not talking about that shit. Give me five hot food takes right now. Okay. Number one, and this is the one that I've I've almost lost friendships over. Bacon is overrated and also is not a main course ever. Ever. Like it's just not I, I don't disagree with that. It's not substantial. I'm sure the main course part. And I think it's a little overrated because it's not a main course. Like it's not it's not as versatile and I don't know, whatever. We can talk about that in a minute. Um, I feel like this shouldn't be a hot take, but it is, so I'm going to just bring it up anyway so that people can get offended if they disagree. Um, any sort of beef should not be cooked beyond medium, even if it's ground beef, because if it's ground beef that you don't trust to be cooked medium or less, you shouldn't be eating it. Um, and particularly anything that could be deemed a steak should never be cooked beyond medium, um, because at that point, if you're going to eat it, like you might as well just like go to McDonald's and get a hamburger because you've pretty much taken all of the character and, uh, you know, sort of what it is out of it. Um, hot take number three would be there's virtually nothing that cannot be improved by adding a fried egg or scrambled eggs to it. Um, burgers, uh, just, just over like rice, you know, on a piece of toast, whatever, like uh, fried rice, uh, with, with eggs in it is the greatest thing ever. If you've never been to, you know, one of those hibachi places where they, they make it all on the, the sort of hot griddle in front of you. And then when they just crack the egg in there and mix it in and it's just, it, it's ridiculous. And just try it with anything. Like if there's something that you regularly have that you don't add eggs to, add eggs to it. This is not the healthy way to do things. Obviously, we should try it. Um, 
And then a couple of food hot takes that are sort of just my personal thing that I know aren't going to extend to everyone and kind of give a little insight into why I probably have issues with my keeping my weight down is that I don't like any fruit in its natural state. There is not a single fruit that I want to eat because I enjoy it. I like fruit juices. I like fruit flavored stuff. And like if, if the world was coming to an end and all we had left to eat was apples, I could eat apples, but there are some fruits that I just, that just repulse me. Just the way they feel and the way that they kind of are. Like, I just don't like like bananas. Like I just, everything about a banana, the way it tastes, the way it feels, the way it looks, I just hate all of it. And so like, I guess my hot take would be like, Fruit kind of sucks, but I realize that that's really more of a personal opinion thing. Whereas I feel like maybe like the bacon and the eggs and the steak stuff is maybe more universal that everyone should agree with. Uh, and then the last thing would be, I do like some vegetables, but I don't want those vegetables in anything because things. I'm, I'm a I'm a inclusionist when it comes to understanding different cultures and different per, like personalities and different things like that. I'm very much into the segregation of food. I like corn and I like Mexican food, but I don't like corn salsa on my Mexican food because it's this weird mixture of things that I don't really like together. So I would say that the hot take there is to keep foods apart as much as you can because they're all great on their own except fruit. So you should enjoy them on their own. Corn is really good. You should just eat corn and then maybe have it on the side with your steak that's not overdone. So. That, that would kind of be my, my fifth one that probably shed some light into why the guy who only likes to eat chicken and potatoes might struggle with his weight a little bit. <laughs> you had me until that last take. I am a mixer of food. I love mixing food. I love having things and other things. I love mixing courses on my plate. I'm all about that. I... I just think it adds for, like, really unique blends of flavors and textures, and it just tastes really good. Like, I love when you get, like, a breakfast of, like, toast, corned beef hash, scrambled eggs. Let's just cut off a piece of that toast and get a little bit of the eggs, a little bit of the hash, put them all together. Like, that is my thing. What you did there, though, is you sneakily made a sandwich. And sandwiches are okay. No, I didn't. It's only one piece of bread. Well, see, that's... Like, you're, you don't want to talk about the hot dog and sandwich thing. It's a crostini. But but there, 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 there's a deep sandwich theory discussion that needs to be had and resolved. Anyway, um, no, like, yeah, like, I'm just kind of saying more like the people who, well, first of all, I, I will say this. This is probably actually a hot take that, that I just thought of. Going back to the eggs thing, I say fried eggs and scrambled eggs because uh, what I mean is anything to where the yolk does not run. Because if the yolk is runny, it's disgusting and gross, and you should not eat it. Oh, that, that's not true. <laughs> runny yolk's delicious. Eggs Benedict? No, no. Just give give me a, a properly cooked egg. Like, I don't understand the appeal of, ooh, it's, it's runny. Like, that doesn't... What, what other foods are good when they're runny other than chocolate syrup? Um... I'll have to think about that, but I'm sure there are others. Like, now, like, hard-boiled eggs are awful. Those are not good. Not a fan. No, that's the, that's the opposite. Like, the hard-boiled egg is the peak egg. That is the best egg. No, it's not. They, if you're just going to eat an egg, like, if you asked, if you had one egg for me to eat and you wanted to know the, the way I would most like to eat it, 
it would be hard for it. I can get behind that. I would scramble it with things, and I would make a really, really good scrambled egg. I yeah, will say yeah, one of my hot cheese. food takes is that everything Kim is better in a sandwich, which yeah, I think you yeah, would agree yeah, I with. Think sandwiches are the exception to the food mixing rule. I think once you kind of put it, because part of it is like a textural thing, but once you put it all together between bread or in a wrap or something, that textural thing kind of doesn't become an issue. Like, um, yeah, and I will say that in regards to your fruit is trash take, fruit is not good for you. It's a ton of sugar. Yeah, don't eat fruit. Just eat carbs. Or drink water. Like, there's no point in eating fruit. I I know there are people who hate fish. Fish is to them as fruit is to me. I just don't have it in my diet, and I really don't feel like I need it, because it's like, it's fruit. Like, I can live without it. I have vegetables, and that's yeah. good. Vegetables are yeah, good. If you're, if you're missing, like, vitamin C or whatever, you can take that in, you know. Or just have carrots. Carrots have vitamin C. Can, yeah. So it's like... It's not too hard to get your vitamin C. I mean, I have orange juice, too, and that's a fruit juice, so I'm fine with that. It's, like, pretty much the only juice I'll ever drink, and that's only when I'm feeling sick. So that's probably why I've been sick all winter, because I have no vitamin C. Um, okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll give one more food hot take here, and, and it will be something that actually came up a while ago on the timeline, that I will just set, set the record straight in vocal format the best fast food french fries and we will eliminate five guys because it's not fast food um even though those are great um checkers and or rallies have the best french fries and fast food and anyone who disagrees because i saw some people ranking them like way down on their list those people are ridiculous and or have not tried them yeah um because mcdonald's belongs like down in the middle to bottom of the list because those are just they're fine like i'm not offended by them but they're not good Check- because- checkers fries are the best fries Yes. Period. End of story. It's done. It's, it's not even close, like, like put it. End the conversation. If someone disagrees with you, they, as you said, have not had them before, or their or tongue got cut out. They don't get it. Yeah. Um. I mean, I made a couple of food hot takes, just like not really necessarily explicitly saying they're hot takes, but like I think that cake is overrated. I think pie is overrated, unless it's a savory pie. I just don't like sweet pastries. For some reason, like, the textures, like, screw me up. I get, like, this really weird feeling on my tongue where, like, I feel like I get, like, an allergic reaction or something. I just don't do, like, sweet pastries at all. Like, I can do savory pastries. I do, like, a chicken pot pie, for sure. I just can't do, like, an apple pie. It just doesn't really appeal to me at all. Um, I mean, yeah, apple pie goes against my fruit is trash philosophy. Um, I, 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 I enjoy pie more than cake, like, if I had to rank those two. Um, but, yeah, like, it, every time I eat something sweet, like, I enjoy it for, like, a minute. But, like, it's never, it's just not a satisfying thing. Like, when you yeah. eat, like, a really nice, well-cooked piece of meat or, you know, like, a nice, like, like order of broccoli or, or side of corn or whatever, like, all those things... Like, sometimes they have a sweet element sometimes to them. They have a savory element to them. But they they kind of stick with you a little more. And so that's kind of more, particularly as I've, I've matured and, and kind of been thinking about, like, I probably shouldn't just be wasting 700 of the calories that I'm trying to burn on this these two brownies that are just so unsubstantial and, like, too sweet. Like, I do think that that's the thing. And that's something that people maybe don't recognize, is that things can definitely be too sweet. And that is an issue. Like 
there there needs to be some mix of kind of flavors and philosophies going on. Otherwise, it's just super one note and boring. You might as well just literally be like drinking sugar out of a bag, like you know. I definitely, definitely agree with that. I don't have any more food hot takes, so we're going to move on. with a couple more topics that I want to hit. First up, video games. Could you please explain to the good people who are listening to this podcast the glory that is Football Manager? <laughs> it it oh is amazing. It, it really is. It's. Let me just put it this way. If, if, if you've ever played... Like NFL head coach or out of the park baseball or any of these other quote unquote sports sim games and you've written them off as being boring or disinteresting or you're not into them or if you hear football manager and then realize it's a soccer game and say oh I don't like soccer like you just need to put these things out of your mind I think it helps to like soccer a little bit because you at least kind of understand what's going on but I almost feel like you don't because it's it's almost its own thing like football manager is almost its own thing separate from football because it is this ridiculously good representation of what it's like to run a sports team. Because um, there's so much that you have to do and there, there's, like, it's just, ugh, like, there's, there's almost too much to do. Like, you almost have to, like, automate some things because otherwise you just literally spend hours like, okay, this guy that I just signed is this really young kid and he's really good at this thing, but he sucks at this other thing. So I'm going to go in and individually set up his training so that he trains in this thing, and but his other teammates are training in this thing. But then he may not like that training. It's just, it's just, it's incredible. Like people are going to look at it, and if you're used to playing Madden, and then you look at this and you see the quote unquote gameplay, and it's, uh, you know, like two D sprites running around on a pitch, and, and you can barely see where the ball is, and it just looks kind of. It don't even begin to judge it by those looks because it is, it is, it's, it's in depth, but it's easy enough to get into, and it's just incredibly addicting, and it just keeps you going. Okay, I'll just advance it one more time, and I'll see what happens. I'll see if I sign that player I'm going off after with this incredible transfer negotiation thing. I'll, you know, I'll just go one more time to see if this, you know, if I can win this next game because I I should have won that last one, but like they, they scored this late goal that should have been offsides, and like it's it's like being a soccer fan, but you get it kind of on demand and you're in charge of it. And it's just there, there's almost too much to say. It's almost too tough to put into words. It is the deepest game you'll ever play. The deepest yep. sports game by far. You can take players from when they're 17 and raise them until they're 40. It's incredible. You can play in any country in the world pretty much. You can do pretty much whatever you want. It's just amazing. Like, everyone should try it. Apparently they're making a version for the NFL. I'll believe it when I see it. It's called Beyond the Sideline. I think that there's a good lay in the process, though, unfortunately. But... Definitely, Football Manager, uh, such a good game. And we could talk about it all day. We can go into our strats. I personally, the best I've ever done is in an old version of Football Manager, I won the World Cup. And I actually, I play, like, club as well, but I honestly don't have the patience, to be honest, to, like, play it for too much, because I always get really bored. But I won the World Cup with, I believe it was Uganda. And that was really cool. Yeah. That was a really, really cool moment. That's tougher because you don't get the benefit of being able to kind of recruit like players to that team in the same I way. just so. took the fastest people. And I got lucky that I got a regen that had like a 20 finishing. 
and they just ran, and it was amazing. Yeah. Um, it was. It and was. I built. Um, I built up a couple of Swansea teams that won uh, the Premier League in a couple of years um, in, in different versions of the game, which is super rewarding because if you have any connection to any soccer team, even if it's MLS, like they do MLS, this is not just a European thing. Like you can you can coach the U.S. Men's National Team, you can coach the Seattle Sounders if you're a fan of them. Like this is not like a elitist European thing. Like you can totally like. Like in next, you know, once the next updates come out and when Jordan Morris is put onto the Sounders, like they're going to have him accurately rated as as the Jordan Morris that we know. And so, like, if you're a, a Sounders fan or a U.S. fan and you want to like coach him up and see what he can be, like that's totally something you can do, and it's probably as accurate a representation of what that could be. Because like you, once you've started playing Football Manager for a while, and then you follow like the soccer news. Like, you'll see players that you signed go to teams and be good and realize, like, oh, crap, the people who are scouting this really know what they're talking about. Because, like, this kid, like, two years ago, a football manager, was a kid I'd sign every time, and now he's, like, playing in the Premier League, and he's really good. Definitely. I mean, if you want to do better than Klinsman, you should take a shot at that as well. Because a lot of people seem to think they can do better than Klinsman right now. Finish this off. I wanted to read a tweet that I found that you tweeted at me in December. And I'm going to find it right now. So, I tweeted on December 29th of this year, I love Majora's Mask, but I also listened to Evanescence and watched As Told by Ginger in 5th grade, so. I think this was a context, or I think this was in the context of someone said Majora's Mask was a bad game, which, no, that's not a good statement. I take it uh, was not as good as the other one. I think it's the best, so. No. This is a conversation that we can, another larger conversation. I kind of yeah. want to have, I might be thinking about, like, having some round tables occasionally, where, like, we talk about one topic the entire cast, because there are some topics here that we can get really deep into, and we're not, but that's beyond the point. But you tweeted back at me that one song was a jam, though. I need to know, were you talking about Evanescence or As Told by Ginger? <laughs> uh, pretty much all 90s cartoons had jam theme songs, except for, like, everyone knows, like, the Rugrats theme song, not necessarily a jam. But, like, like so many, like, 90s, 90s cartoons had great theme songs. I was actually referring to Bring Me to Life by Evanescence. <laughs> All right, thank you for the context there. And that is an amazing song. Also an amazing karaoke song to find the right person to do edit with. Yeah. It is total jam. But we're going to talk about 90s cartoons super quick. What was your favorite? I was a, I was the biggest fan of Tiny Toon Adventures and Animaniacs. Those were, were my go-tos. Um, like, the stuff on, on Nickelodeon, like the... Um, Aureal Monsters and Doug and Hey Arnold. Aureal Monsters was not a good show. No, it wasn't. It, it was, was first bad. Of all, it was gross. Like, yeah. I don't have a very high tolerance for, like, I, I would say gore, but I think that's too strong of a word. But just, like, gross stuff. Like, I don't like just things that could be described as gross. And, and like, I feel like that's what that show was all about, and it just wasn't appealing to me. Um, but, yeah, like, Hey Arnold was kind of maybe too serious. Doug was kind of maybe too serious. Um, although they had their moments and they were kind of fun at the time. 
but like Tiny Toon Adventures and Animaniacs were just like, particularly like in the early '90s when I was like in second and third and fourth grade. Like they're that good mix of kind of you say I say educational, probably more informative than educational. I don't think you're really being educated. I think you're just kind of being informed of things, but entertained. But also in a way that, like, if you go back and watch it now, you can still get something from it. Like, particularly, like, the They Might Be Giants music videos and Tiny Toon Adventures and, like, in Animaniacs where they had those, those songs about, like, the state capitals and, and stuff like that. Like, they just did a really good job on those things to the point where, like, my uncle, who was in his late 20s, early 30s, was able to appreciate those and, like, watch them with me. And that kind of, like, resonated with me as, like, this is something that I should kind of gravitate towards. So those are things that I liked. But, like, I mean, I, I like all the stupid stuff, too. Like, I love Angry Beavers. I love Dexter's Laboratory. Like, you know, um, I don't, I don't, I didn't really watch a ton of As Told by Ginger. But since, you know, I was alive for the 90s and 2000s, like, I've pretty much watched all of them except for, like, I think, like, home, I, I, I looked at the list of, like, the top 50 90s and 2000s cartoons, and, like, home movies is the only one I haven't watched. I don't so, even like, know what that is. Thing, but, was that, yeah. I think that was just, like, shorts, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, it was, but, like, I didn't, I didn't, I never, I never watched it, so I wouldn't even know. Yeah, I, I was a Nickelodeon person, although I did have some Cartoon Networks and Disney's as well. Um, yeah, Cartoon I, Network was always, like, had to go to other people's house, because I didn't have it. Cartoon so, Network yeah, had Powerpuff Girls, like, and I really like Powerpuff like, Girls, I remember, and I liked yeah. Samurai Jack. I was older, though, I guess. Maybe slightly older. Uh, Powerpuff Girls were always big. Dexter's Lab. Cow and Chicken. I'd stay up late and watch that. My parents wouldn't know. Um, I, I mean, Fairly Odd Parents. I love yeah. the Fairly Odd Parents. That show was the bomb growing up. Yeah, Rock the Tower. Like, like that's, that's a little later, because that and, like, Ed, Ed and Eddie. Like, I never got into Ed, Ed and Eddie. I never thought it was that great. Oh, I, a I, lot of people love it. I never really got into it. It, it was it, it embraced dumb humor in a really good way that I I really appreciated because there's a lot of like cartoons that are just dumb humor, but like I feel like it kind of it 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 knew what it was and it kind of had a little more to it than that. Like I, I was I was older by the time I started watching it. Like uh, you know a lot of these other things. Like I was embracing them as a kid. And then Eddie, I kind of almost had a more adult mindset to it. I'm very excited for people to tweet all the cartoons that we forgot okay. after this airs. Because there are so many others that I also yeah. really liked. So tweet them at me, and I'll tell you if I remember them or if I like them. Tweet them at Leo as well, because this podcast, unfortunately, has to come to a close sometime. And that time is now. Leo, thank you so much for joining us. You will definitely, we'll have to have you back at some other point. Yeah, roundtable on uh, Super Nintendo and Nintendo 64 era video games needs to happen because we need to set the record straight on uh, Ocarina of Time versus Majora's Mask. That will be a definite debate to have. And that is all for the Hammer Time Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more awesome content. I'm Ethan Hammerman, and I'm signing off. See you later.